0: In the early days of Gojek, there was a lot of resistance to our services. The most common form of that resistance in the early days was actually by motorcycle taxi mafias. So you would have like these areas that are essentially controlled um, through violence by specific, you know, area mafias. And when we start having drivers pick up orders and pick up passengers, these people uh, would actually physically assault our drivers. Um, you know we've had everything from like bricks thrown at uh, our drivers to you know knives um and machetes being brandished at them, and I think it would have been easy for us to say like, hey, you know you know they're uh they're all contractors, they're third parties like you know let them let them kind of just sort it out but instead we uh we actually hired private security, so we actually work with private security companies. To help our drivers in those situations, you know, to, to help to help kind of like you know, extract them out of these these sticky situations, and so we actually ran a fairly big private security operation uh, for a fairly long time.
1: Welcome to Lenny's podcast, where I interview world class product leaders and growth experts to learn from their hard won experiences building and growing today's most successful products. Today, my guest is Kevin Alui. Kevin is the co-founder and former CEO of a company called Gojek, which I've always been fascinated by. You may recall a former guest, Crystal Wajia, who was head of growth at Gojek and i have always wanted to get more of the story. Gojek is infamous for their scrappiness, their unique approach to ops and growth, and as being one of the first and most successful super apps in the world. They've also long been maybe the biggest startup in Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia. Kevin and the story of Gojek have a lot to teach founders in the U.S. and all over the world, and so I was really excited to sit down with Kevin to dig into the story. He did not disappoint. You'll hear all kinds of wild stories about them having to hire a private security team to protect their drivers, having to build their own cash distribution centers to pay their drivers, plus how they won in large part thanks to their early investment in brand, why it's important to do the hard things as a startup, also why super apps are surprisingly overrated, and much more. Enjoy this episode with Kevin Aloui after a short word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Coda. You've heard me talk about how Coda is the doc that brings it all together and how it can help your team run smoother and be more efficient. I know this firsthand because Coda does that for me. I use Coda every day to wrangle my newsletter content calendar, my interview notes for podcasts, and to coordinate my sponsors. More recently, I actually wrote a whole post on how Coda's product team operates And within that post, they shared a dozen templates that they use internally to run their product team, including managing the roadmap, their OKR process, getting internal feedback, and essentially their whole product development process is done within Coda. If your team's work is spread out across different documents and spreadsheets and a stack of workflow tools, that's why you need Coda. Coda puts data in one centralized location, regardless of format, eliminating roadblocks that can slow your team down. Coda allows your team to operate on the same information and collaborate in one place. Take advantage of this special limited time offer just for startups. Sign up today at coda.io slash Lenny and get a $1,000 startup credit on your first statement. That's coda.io slash Lenny to sign up and get a startup credit of $1,000. coda.io slash Lenny. This episode is brought to you by Rose.com. The world runs on spreadsheets probably have a tab open with a spreadsheet right now, but the spreadsheet product you're using today was designed decades ago, and it shows. They live in silos away from your business data, they weren't made to be used on a phone, and if you want to do even the simplest automation, you have to figure out complex scripts that are a nightmare to maintain. Rose is different. It combines a modern spreadsheet editor, data integrations with APIs and your business tools, and a slick sharing experience that turns any spreadsheet into a beautiful, interactive website that you'll be proud to share. If you're writing a report on a growth experiment, you can use Rose to do your analysis on data straight from BigQuery or Snowflake. If you're deep diving on marketing, you can import reports straight from Google Analytics, Facebook ads, or Twitter. Or if you're working with sales, you can natively plug Stripe, Salesforce, or HubSpot directly into Rose. And when you're done, you can share your work as a beautiful spreadsheet that's easy to read and embed charts, tables, and calculators into Notion, Confluence, or anywhere on the web. I've already moved some of my favorite spreadsheet templates to Rose. Go to rose.com slash Lenny to check them out. That's rose.com slash Lenny. Kevin, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lenny. Uh, We finally made it happen after uh, a few weeks or months of going back and forth.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to finally meet you and to dig into a bunch of stuff. I think this is going to be a really unique episode. I... Don't often have founders on the podcast, especially founders of companies that are not based in the U.S., in this case, Indonesia. Uh, Crystal Wajia, who was on this podcast previously, one of my favorite guests, is just like, Lenny, you got to get Kevin on your podcast. And so here we are.
0: I'm glad to be in a, in a small group of uh, category of people that you invite. Thank you. I'm, I'm a huge yeah. fan of uh, what you do. Thanks, man. I really appreciate
1: that. And to redirect to you, you are the co-founder of a company called Gojek. Many people listening have never heard of Gojek, especially people in the U.S. So just to start, can you just like describe what is Gojek? What do you all do? And then also, I think more interestingly, is just like the scale of Gojek. I think people in the U.S., their mind will blow once they hear the scale you've reached with this company. They probably hadn't heard of.
0: So Gojek started as a motorcycle taxi uh, based service, so it's a kind of a uniquely Indonesian thing where... Uh, we have millions of motorcycle taxi drivers in uh, all of the urban centers in Indonesia. And so we, we started uh, with a very local problem. Uh, and the first product uh, was a on-demand super app, uh, if you will, where you could ask someone on a motorcycle to give you a ride, send a package for you or buy something and deliver it to you. Um, this then evolved over the years into you know, a more general on-demand Consumer super app that also included, you know, car drivers and other services ranging from the ones mentioned to grocery deliveries and payments and financial services. And today, uh, we took the com- uh, the company public about a year and a half ago after we merged uh, with uh, with Indonesia's top e-commerce platform, and uh, we've managed to also expand outside of uh, just Indonesia, where today we have about. Uh, 2.7 million drivers across Southeast Asia. Uh, we've completed about 3 billion orders uh, last year. So that's 3 billion orders. So that the scale of our region is, is often um, under underappreciated um, where we also have about 15 million merchants um, doing you know, general e-commerce, but also you know, restaurants on our food delivery service um, and on that IPO, um, you know, we were pretty proud to say that you know, it was Indonesia's largest uh, IPO uh, of all time, uh, where we raised over a billion dollars at something like $27, $28 billion uh, in terms of valuation.
1: And these numbers you shared, 2.7 million drivers, 30 billion orders, Or three, three, billion. Three, 3 billion. How would that compare to like an Uber or Lyft?
0: I, I don't know what, the, what, what their latest numbers are, but just in terms of the numbers of people and the numbers, the number of activity, I would place our scale among the largest uh, U.S. companies.
1: That's pretty wild that there's this company out there that a lot of people didn't know about that is basically of the scale of Uber and Lyft.
0: In terms of you know volume, I would say that we're we're up there with Uber uh, globally and definitely larger than 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 Lyft. I don't remember how many drivers are uh, in the U.S., uh, but but it's definitely uh, we definitely have uh, more. Uh, drivers in the region than than all of the all of America.
1: Just to kind of like check this checkbox, you said it was a super app. What are all the things that GoCheck does? Just whatever you want to share, all the things that you can do.
0: From the point when we had the most services, we had everything from um, you know ride hailing to you know, package delivery to food delivery to grocery deliveries. Um, we had moving services on you know uh, you know trucks and vans. We had on demand uh, massages. Cleaning services. You could get your hair done um, on 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 Gojek. You could order movie tickets. Uh, you could get a loan. You could pay for things. I think at at our peak we had something like near thirty different services, uh, all in all in one app.
1: I think it's like you're officially a super app if your founder can't even remember all the things that you do right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. I, I, I would challenge anyone uh, within the company to be able to name all of our services that we've ever had on the app, uh, because it, it, it was pretty wild at one point, and uh, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about my thoughts on on super apps at, at some point during this, uh, during this session, because I definitely mm-hmm. um, have some mixed views over it as a product strategy uh, as, you know as we've gone through that whole cycle.
1: It might be actually a good time just to jump into it. I know that oh. I was actually saving that for later, but this might be a good time. And part of the reason I think this is really interesting is if you open up Uber these days, it's like mm-hmm. like 40 things that they're offering now. Mm-hmm. Elon at Twitter is talking about turning Twitter into a super app, like payments, communication, messaging, all these things. So I think it's mm-hmm. like a really interesting trend that continues to pop up here in the US. Yeah. And yep. uh, I would absolutely love to hear your perspective on, on super apps.
0: Okay, I'm going to come off a little strong on this, but... I, I am kind of annoyed at how much it's being mentioned these days. It's, it's really popular in VC consultant analyst uh, uh, circles because it, it, it sounds really great on a strategy deck you know, because all of the things that are really, really appealing, we'll talk about you know, lower customer acquisition costs, you know, higher attach rates to different products. Talk about you know higher you know retention across different services, um, uh, the ease of you know cross selling and upselling. You know all of these things sound great, but in reality, a lot of those benefits don't pan out. And and one probably really good example that that I like to reference is that I remember one of our products uh, was mobile um, you know phone uh, top up and recharge. Uh, you know in Southeast Asia a majority of people are on prepaid plans instead of postpaid plans. So everyone basically buys their minutes and their data plans um, up front in the beginning of the week or the beginning of the month. Um, So we had a product, which was a mobile top-up product. Um, And so the reason I mentioned this specific product as a really illustrative point on Super Apps is that it's a product that 95% plus of our customers uh, need, because they're all on you know prepaid plans. So it's a very, very relevant product. And we had our UX research team actually look into why the engagement on the product wasn't as high as we thought it should be. So one of the questions uh, that the, our UXR team asked our customers was, was like, hey, do you know uh, that you could top up your mobile minutes and buy data on the Gojek app? And only about 40% of our customers, like 30 or 40% of our customers knew that this product existed. And that completely blew our minds. Because one, it's a product that is relevant for all, all of our customers. Two, it was literally there, like on, on one of the six buttons in like on the on the home page. And I think the, the, the insight that we got here was that there kind of needs to be a unifying concept across all of your services within the app for your users to be able to think about your product in a sensible uh, uh, way. You know, and, and, and for us, the way that our customers thought about us was that, was they thought about the driver. And so when we launched, you know, when we went from ride hailing to package delivery to food delivery to grocery delivery, you know, customers really understood that. And, and we didn't have to sell this idea to our customers that you had all of these services under one app because they thought about the Gojek driver. That made sense. You can easily cross sell somebody from a, a ride healing customer to a grocery customer or a food delivery customer because they understood the unifying factor there being the driver. Uh, but then when you start doing other things that don't have that unifying factor in terms of you know the concept that a customer has when they think about your service, it starts breaking down. So you know one one other fun fun UXR uh, uh, insight here was when we launched uh, massage services. So. You know, we we had uh, at one point, though we've already sh- we, we've shut it down a few years after. We had massage services where you can you know order a masseuse to come to your place. And a, a, a question that many of our customers asked was that, oh, is the driver going to come into my house and give me a massage? And for us, like that was insane. Like, of course not. Like, you know, this you know, our drivers are not trained masseuses, but that was the question that people asked because they thought, like, oh. This app is an app for these driver-related services. So if there was a massage service, I'm assuming it's that same man uh, um, who's going to give me a massage. And so you know, I think this kind of illustrates the importance of having these unifying uh, uh, concepts that are easy for customers to think about the multiple different services. It's not, it's not as simple as just saying like, oh, we have a lot of engagement, we have a lot of eyeballs, add a service, and then you have a super app that makes sense for customers. And so that whole nirvana of, like high, of, of lower CAC, higher retention uh, that are on these great strategy decks uh, often don't pan out because you kind of have to then resell this idea of like, oh, this is another service that you can use. And, 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 and that's another a bit of investment that you have to actually put in in terms of advertising and, and customer education that increases the, those customer acquisition costs. And it also leads to design constraints because there's only so many ways you can display a whole bunch of different services uh that actually have little to, to to do with each other, which is why when you see super apps today, it's kind of like this giant menu or this giant grid, um, which does limit uh the the, the design decisions that you can make, um which is unfortunate because you know if you kind of actually um I think it's it's an unsolved problem at this point.
1: It's a hilarious story about the massage of product. Sounds like a lot of startups
0: are going to have some issues um, scaling to new
1: products and trying to become a super app. I want to shift a little bit and talk about brand. I did a little research on you ahead of this chat. I was watching, I watched your like Marshall graduation speech and a few other interviews you did. And something that came out of your previous writing and talks is just how much you care about brand and how much value you put into brand. And they just have a lot of opinions about the importance of brand. And to to me and to most people, brand is this like really squishy thing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know what exactly to do to build your brand, when to prioritize it, how to prioritize it amongst other things you're doing, especially early on. So I'd love to hear your advice for founders that are listening and just like, what should I actually do around brand? What's your advice for how to tactically do something about brand? And also just, you know, why do you think it's so important? Mm-hmm. I,
0: I do agree with you that it, it, it is kind of this squishy thing that... You know, most people um, see as an afterthought, maybe because it is kind of this squishy thing that that's hard to hard to define. But I I'm a I'm very I'm a very very big believer that the two most important things in a consumer business are product and brand in that order. And I don't think I need to sell the idea, uh, especially to to your audience, um, that product is absolutely critical and probably the most important. But yeah, the brand as an afterthought is, is is definitely one of the areas where I think um, there's a giant missed opportunity for, for consumer tech businesses. And I almost, you know, I, I get why we kind of opened the session by talking about the size of the business uh, to give an appreciation of the scale for audience members who might be unfamiliar with us or with the region. But I wish I didn't have to start there because we actually started as a very scrappy company where we were by far the underfunded player and, and without brand um, that, you know, we probably would have never gone to escape velocity beyond that scrappy uh, uh, stage. Uh, we've maintained our leadership in Indonesia. And I, through a lot of the things that we, we actually did uh, uh, on, the, on the brand uh, side, and to give you a sense of, you know, how scrappy uh, we had to be, in, in In competition, you know for the first six months after launching our app, you know we had only raised about two million dollars, and our regional competitor had already raised two hundred fifty so they That's had fair. literally like um more than a hundred times more capital than we have, so it's easy to kind of talk about you know what we built as this kind of you know giant business, but we came from a place where we were seriously underfunded and I think a big reason why we got we survived uh was that we built a great brand for, for our consumers and for our drivers and for our merchants. And I'm, I, I think that great brands create associations in their customers' minds that transcend the typically transactional or utilitarian one that most people have with businesses. You know, they become part of uh, one's identity. I think some of the best-in-class examples of these are probably, you know, all the Apple fanboys and fangirls, uh, Nike sneakerheads, you know, for 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 these uh, individuals, you know, the brand becomes p- really part of their a big part of their identity and and, and their loyalty towards the, the the products of the company. You know, go beyond just like hey, you know, uh, 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 go beyond a, a, a relationship that can easily be swayed uh, just through discounts or or other or more features that that that, that, that other uh, competitors might have, and so I'm. I I, I'm a really, really firm believer of how important this is because you can see it. If you step out of the tech bubble, uh, uh, for a second, you can see that there are so many great companies out there, uh, that, that, you know, really rely on the strength of their brand, um, to, to, to build these, you know, fantastic businesses and to, to create great experiences for, for their customers. And you ask, you know, what, what are kind of the things that one can do? Um, uh, I think for us, you know, we we invested a lot in uh, uh, in our brand uh, across multiple areas, and I think one one specific area that I think is really really important is that you create consistency across all customer touch points. and so you know, branding is not just you know a cool logo, cool advertising, um, you know, fun fun imagery, uh, but it's 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 really about you know the impression that a customer or a user has uh, with your product and with your, with your business. So having that consistency across all customer touch points is, is really important. So you know, how you write copy and advertising and in the app, uh, how you even design the app. Uh, but we were the first company of scale to kind of have ads that don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, you know, we make fun of ourselves. We make fun of uh, um, you know, our cultural observations of Indonesia. And again, to kind of just build uh, this overall feel that like, hey, we get you. We are, you know, we are part of the the, the overall culture of, of of Indonesia. And I think even going beyond, you know, the 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 the, the more aesthetic or um, communication oriented investments, we also leaned into cultural artifacts um, uh, in our product features, uh, to, to kind of you know really uh, you know build this 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 brand that is part of you know day to day culture. One of my favorite cultural artifacts is that in in Asia, it's fairly common uh, to send food as gifts to your loved ones or, or or maybe people you're interested in dating. So people would send over like food as gifts uh, uh, to you know their 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 romantic interests. And and so when we launch our food delivery service, a lot of people were actually using it for this. Like you know I'm going to send it to um, my uh, 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 my boyfriend or my girlfriend uh, or the person that I'm interested in dating. And so it became this whole cultural phenomenon of, of like sending go food uh, uh, for, for these people. And we kind of leaned into it in our product feature where all of our all the other uh, players uh, in the market at the time basically only allowed you to deliver food to your home or your office. But we actually allowed, we actually created a feature that allowed you to, to choose a delivery point that was far away from where you were um there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why other companies didn't do didn't allow it at the time because it was like oh you know it might be used for fraud and 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 and, and stuff like that. Uh, but we leaned into it. We leaned into it and 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 allow, and actually created features that allowed to put your pickup point far away from where your actual location was. And then we kind of just you know had fun with this whole idea of go food dating. And so yes, it's kind of part of branding. But but thinking about branding beyond. Uh, just like marketing communication but but actually be as you know being relatable and being part of the culture and being sensitive of 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 what that culture is um I think was was something that you know we did really really well in the early days that allowed us to continue maintaining leadership in spite of the fact that our competitors had more money, which meant that they could offer more discounts they could offer more incentives to drivers but we we really kind of leaned very hard into you know being not just. A utilitarian commodity, which is what a lot of people would say, is uh, 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 is the nature of our business to 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 some level of accuracy. So, just to get even more
1: concrete, um, one takeaway from what you just shared, which is interesting, is the first part of figuring out how to approach your brand is what are like what's like the personality of your product for you. You (laughs) said it was like we're just like of the people, we're like you, we're here to help you make your life easier, and then that informs the copy, the messaging, be a little. Uh, I forget how you described it, but just like almost like bad grammar and stuff just because it like relates more to people. Yeah. And then some of these product launches that connect to that. Uh, so maybe if there's anything else you want to add there, that'd be interesting. And then what's like, I don't know, one or two moments that most helped build the brand. I know you're kind of famous for like having helmets and jackets on the drivers that helped spread the Gojek brand. Is there anything else that just like, wow, this was really effective to build this brand that ended up dominating Indonesia?
0: Yeah, the jackets and helmets piece I think is really, really important for two reasons. One, the more obvious reason, which is that because they were just all over the streets of uh, uh, many cities in, in Indonesia, you know, people were familiar with the imagery and the name. But I think it's also really, really important that people saw what was happening. So you know, you if we just if we were like I don't know an airline. And we branded a bunch of people on the streets with, you know, our brand. Uh, It's, yeah, sure, you know, that might help with, you know, brand recall, and people might know about uh, uh, the name. But what was really, really powerful um, was that when people would be seeing uh, uh, these uh, drivers with their jackets and helmets, they would be seeing passengers on the backseat as they were stuck in traffic, right? So I'm stuck in traffic, and I'm seeing these people whiz past me. Uh, with this, you know, with 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 this imagery on them, and immediately I, I get that association. Like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic, but I could be out there cutting through traffic on a motorcycle. Or you see them like carrying packages or delivering food, and you immediately get like, oh, like these are guys who uh, 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 who can deliver food or deliver packages for me. And so it was like this beautiful combination of you know one just having that imagery and, and, and having that uh, visual everywhere as a reminder of the brand. But more importantly, it was also a, a physical kind of, it was, it was a physical reminder of the service, of what we do and of how we can help you. Um, and so looking for these opportunities where, again, customers can kind of make that connection between, you know, the, the, the logo and the colors and the name uh, with actually what the service is, I think is is are the opportunities that that I would say uh, uh, people should look out for. Uh, they're rare. They're admittedly they're they're, they're quite rare, uh, which is why, um, in my opinion, it the laziest uh, 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 kind of branding tends to to to, to be the most popular. Um, you know, just you know, put your name and your you know copy on a billboard or uh, on a CPM or CPC campaign, uh, but. There are these opportunities, I think, on 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 being able to reinforce the the value proposition of your business uh in, in a way that is, you know, beyond just kind of visual recall. And I think that that I think was 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 why, you know, that specific anecdote is something I like to talk about because it was really, really one of those special uh things that reminded people uh on on, on why we're here.
1: Yeah, I think you tweeted that it was one of the most important things you ever did as a company is decide to put these logos on the helmets and jackets reminds me of Lyft's pink mustache, which went away, but felt like a really important (laughs) way for them to differentiate. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. No, totally, totally, totally.
1: You talked about how scrappy you've been. And (laughs) I want to dig into that a little bit more. I think there's like US startup scrappy and then there's like Gojek scrappy. And uh, it'd be fun to hear maybe a story of two just to illustrate how Mm. ridiculously scrappy you were as a company early on, especially.
0: One thing that we did in the early days that was absolutely crazy was that, you know, we, we were uh, one of the pioneering companies, one of the pioneering technology companies in Indonesia and in, in Southeast Asia. And so, you know, we came into a environment where a lot of the things that maybe companies or, or, or people in more developed economies take for granted, um, for example, having electronic or digital payments, that was something that actually didn't really uh exist that much uh uh when we first started. And so we had a problem of actually trying to pay drivers because you know drivers um you know every day we would be you know paying out incentives or or, or just having you know customers pay with you know their, their 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 credit cards or their stored balance. And then we'd have a challenge in getting our drivers to actually uh, uh be able to take that money out for 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 their earnings and in the early days, we actually had cash booths. Uh, so we actually had um, physical spaces with like a vault and uh, a cash sitting in the vault where drivers can show up, you know, show that, oh, I'm, this is my driver ID. I'm, uh, and this is the, 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 the balance that I have uh, 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 with, with you. Please give me the cash. And so we would have these, place, these these actual physical locations where there would be lines of drivers essentially taking cash and we eventually, you know, figured this out of like, okay, we'll work with a bank and integrate with an ATM network and, and and all of that. But you know, in the early days, you know, we just did it ourselves of of being basically of building essentially a mini ATM network, um, which is a, I think, you know, a, I, I think even that sounds too fancy of what it was. It was just, it was literally like a booth with a vault with cash in it. And, and you know, we had like at the time already you know tens of thousands of drivers uh, all across Indonesia. Another uh, scrappy story um, that uh, actually Crystal reminded me of uh, recently that we did um, was at the time, there was a lot of uh, fake driver apps out there um, because you know we didn't uh, we didn't uh, have uh, all of the security investments that um, we eventually made you know things like uh, code obfuscation and 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 better api security that wouldn't allow for you know these fraudulent driver apps these basically third party driver apps to co- to connect to uh to our platform so there were a lot of these drivers using uh these third party driver apps uh that were doing things that they so they were kind of doing unsavory things like you know stealing driver details uh you know getting some of them even as Bad um, as like financial details, so that they can then uh, at some point, um, you know, drain driver funds. And and the way that they did it, uh, the way that they convinced drivers to actually use these apps was that they actually added some features that at the time we didn't allow. So things like, um, uh, you know, we wanted drivers to be uh, to be conscious of what was happening on the app, and so we would actually ensure we would actually make sure that drivers would you know push the accept order button. We 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 made sure that that was the only way that drivers could accept orders. But this app had a um, functionality that would automatically accept orders as soon as they kind of came in. And so they actually it was kind of this interesting situation where they were doing things that you know were fraudulent and 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 you know not safe uh, uh, for for the integrity of the platform. But at the same time, they were also providing some value uh, uh, to, to 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 the to the people who were using them. And so. You know, at the time we had to make a decision of like, okay, we need, to, we need to nip this in the butt, right? And one way that we could have done it, that we're taking time was really invest in a lot of the technical uh, security aspects of it. And, but, you know, we didn't have the bandwidth uh, to be able to do that. You know, engineering and security talent is actually super, super scarce in Southeast Asia at the time, still is today, but at, at that time, extremely, extremely scarce. And so we ended up making the decision of actually copying those features. So we actually saw all of these like third-party fraudulent apps. And instead of like, you know, building a whole system to kind of prevent them from being built or, or, or preventing them from being worked, uh, preventing them from working on the platform, we just said, hey, let's take their top th- two or three features and let's build them into our app. And that actually significantly reduced uh, the number of users uh, on these third-party apps um, just by kind of, you know, Having this mentality of like, you know, if you can't beat them, then, then join them. And so uh, and, and that I would say, you know, that wasn't a philosophical decision uh, uh, or, or a principled decision. It was actually a decision made out of necessity because we, we simply couldn't build all the, the capability to, to combat these apps at the time.
1: Are you hiring? Or on the flip side, are you looking for a new opportunity? Well, either way, check out Lenny'sJobs.com slash talent. If you're a hiring manager, you can sign up and get access to hundreds of hand-curated people who are open to new opportunities. Thousands of people apply to join this collective, and I personally review and accept just about 10% of them. You won't find a better place to hire product managers and growth leaders. Join almost a hundred other companies who are actively hiring through this collective. And if you're looking around for a new opportunity, actively or passively, join the collective. It's free. You can be anonymous. And you can even hide yourself from specific companies. You can also leave anytime, and you'll only hear from companies that you want to hear from. Check out Lenny'sJobs.com/talent. These are hilarious stories. Uh, like you had to compete with these like uh, rip-off jailbroken, apps, yes. uh, fraudulent apps, and then you had to build a cash box uh, network all over the all over the country. That's mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> I knew there would be good stories in this question, and I'm glad you delivered. There's also this like feeling of uh, within Gojek of just like doing the hard thing and not like you just shared a couple stories of this versus Mm -hmm. like the simple, like a lot of startups are like, let's do the simplest thing. Feels like you guys lean into the hard thing. Why is that? Where'd you, where'd that come from? And then is there any other story of something that you did that was like, we'll do it the hard way.
0: I really don't like the idea of moats. Again, one of the concepts that uh, uh, gets thrown out a lot by by strategy type folks of, of having you know what's your what's what's the moat of your yeah, of your business yeah, or 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 your product um and and usually people are looking for an answer of like oh look at this uh this capability or look at you know this feature or look at this distribution uh uh partner or you know all of all of those kind of things and I don't believe that any modes are durable over time eventually with enough time all modes can be crossed um and and I think one, you know, so-called moat that doesn't get talked about enough is the fact of is the fact that um, you're able to do hard things uh, because hard things are hard, um, and just simply doing things that are hard, as long as they prov- they create value uh, uh, to your customers, um, actually is a position that makes it harder for 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 your competitors uh, uh, to be able to uh, win over your customers because it's hard to do those things. And probably another example of, of of doing something that sounds you know very difficult um, was that in the early days of Gojek there was a lot of resistance to our services and and one of the one of the forms of that resistance one of the more common most common form of that resistance in the early days was actually by motorcycle taxi mafias um, so you would have like these areas that are essentially controlled through violence uh uh by specific you know area mafias and when we start having drivers um pick up orders and pick up passengers these people uh would actually physically assault our drivers um you know we've had uh you know everything from like bricks uh thrown at uh our drivers to you know knives um uh, and machetes being brandished at them to you know just, you know, physical uh, um, uh, altercations, like, you know, literally like um, mobs of people um, getting into these brawls. And there was a, a lot of these kind of things that actually happened on this, in, in, in the streets of Jakarta at the time. And, you know, I think it would have been easy for us to say like, hey, you know, you know they're, uh, uh, they're all contractors, they're third parties, and, you know, let them, let them kind of just sort it out. Uh, but instead, we, uh, we actually hired private security Um, So we actually work with private security companies to help um, these situations, to help our drivers in those situations, you know, to to help to help kind of like, you know, extract them out of these these sticky situations. And so we actually ran a fairly big private security operation uh, for a fairly long time, you know, until it became common to have Gojek drivers, you know, do all these things across uh, cities. We actually worked. We had we ran this you know very operation intensive thing uh, just to make sure that you know our drivers could be as safe as as as, as possible and it showed our commitment uh, to the driver community it showed our commitment that you know we cared and again you know going again going back to that earlier point around you know having that branding association you know drivers uh, knew that hey you know we were we ju- we we weren't just a platform that just kind of let that didn't care. You know, we 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 actually cared about their safety, um, and and that helped build that goodwill. Even as competitors started coming in and paying more money, uh, you know, we still had a lot of loyalty uh, within the driver community because of things like that.
1: How did you actually have a security person on a motorcycle? Were they like pretending to be the rider
0: and then just like get out and punch him in the face? <laughs> uh, a minority of, of 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 situations were like that, but a lot of that was just like, hey, having like a, a, an on call service where they could just dial a number um, and somebody within a you know five ten minute distance would actually show up, um, and so we would have these like these these patro- uh, patrols effectively in in, in specific hotspots where you know if there was a uh, uh, a situation brewing that you know they would they would instantly or almost instantly show up uh, to the site and help um, diffuse it.
1: I love that you have this like super app that's doing all these things for people. Plus, within the company, you've built all these mini businesses, like a whole bank to mm-hmm. pay people, private security company, is probably some other. I, uh Crystal shared a story of you guys rented out a stadium for oh, drivers okay. to collect all the drivers and give them phones. Uh, yeah. Okay, this is
0: great yeah that i think yeah. is kind of like a probably one of the hallmarks uh of 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 this region in general where um you know i have no doubt that you know what we were building and what we are today is a technology company but i do think that in the early days you do have to be a lot more operations heavy um and and then i think that that lends to that scrappiness uh because there are a lot of things that you know to solve elegantly and and and, and technically will take a lot of time and there and, and it just kind of over focusing uh on on those type of solutions i think would 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 be doing your your customers a disservice because there are opportunities uh to make things a lot better um just through um probably more innovation in 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 operations to kind of uh kickstart things uh, until you have the more elegant, scalable, uh, technical or product solution.
1: That reminds me that at Gojek, you held tons of different roles throughout the time you were there. You were mm. uh, obviously co-founder, your are co-CEO at one point, de facto CPO at one point, CIO, CFO. Yeah. I heard that you were writing like push notification copies and became a dry, yeah. driver at one point just to keep things running. Uh so feels like another good example of exactly what you're talking about of just doing the, the hard thing in, in the operational component.
0: I mean, yeah, so actually, you know, I, I I did have a stint as an amateur uh performance marketer in the early days of Project. You know, I would I would, you know, write copy, I would upload ads onto Facebook and 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 Google and try and do my best in kind of optimizing our, our, our online marketing spend. But um I I think I did all of those things not because I wanted to be scrappy necessarily, but uh, I, I do think that as, and this is probably most relevant for founders, less, less for executives, but you know, I think for, as, a, as a founder, I do think it's really important to understand the work um, that needs to be done in order to see what excellence looks like. Um, and, and for us, you know, again, we, do, we, we came from an ecosystem where the availability of experienced talent was relatively low. Um, and so for for me, it was very hard to be able to just say like, oh, like let, let's hire person X from organization Y with you know job description Z, uh, and we know that they probably can can deliver um, because you know again the the talent availability was really low, and so a lot of times I needed to I felt like I needed to understand okay what is this job, um, what exactly does it entail, what is and and, and seeing how bad I am at it. Uh, allowed me to understand what good looked like um and so i i held a lot of those roles just because you know i i wanted to understand um every part of the business as best as i could uh in order to then find somebody who could do it you know orders of magnitude better than 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 myself uh, i would say that is true for all of these roles except for being a driver uh, i think being a driver you know i wasn't trying to understand um uh, 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 what excellence as a driver looked like. Uh, obviously, the drivers do a really challenging job. And, and I think I just wanted to understand uh, what that role was like to kind of build a lot more empathy uh, towards the uh, the job and, and um, make sure that our product was catered uh, towards what those needs were. So when I, we first launched our uh, car uh, ride-hailing services, I think I was the first actual driver um, on uh, on the app and yeah, and I, I would, every now and then would be a driver. And and I remember in the early days um, when I actually picked up a customer, you know, it was this lady um, and she, she put in her destination as a, as a mall. And so I, you know, I went to her, I went to this house, um, you know, and I knew that, okay, I needed to drive to this mall. But then this lady comes out with this like giant bag. Um, and so I had to like, you know, hop out the car, take this giant bag, you know, put it in my trunk. Um, and then, you know, I, off we went. And in the middle of the the drive, she's like, hey, you know, um, I need to drop off and, and do my laundry uh, on the way to the mall. And, you know, I just had to, okay, cool. Like we took a detour, you know, I lugged this giant bag uh, out of our trunk and, and helped this lady you know, do her laundry. And then we went to, uh, uh, went to the mall and, I got very little money out of that experience, and and you know, it was an instant. But this this is kind of eventually what led to I think the a lot of the support I gave to our driver teams when they were pushing for hey we need more waiting fees, uh, uh, we need to add you know multiple stops uh, 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 in order to make sure that hey you know, a lot of this extra work was actually compensated, and you know it was something that you know, I obviously. Um, Experience personally, and and it was something that something that I, I definitely uh, was excited about as a as a set of you know product features and principles uh, when it came to building our driver app.
1: It feels like having to do that ends up being a feature, as you said, that you actually experience yeah. a lot of these challenges. And you said the really good point about knowing what to hire and what these people are going to actually do. Yeah, that is uh, yeah. that's interesting how that often turns into a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I know you also have a pretty interesting journey into tech. What
0: can you uh, share on that so I am basically a failed finance professional um you know I, I wanted to i i didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life and in you know two thousand two thousand five uh which is when i um entered college, you know the hot sexy thing to do was finance um and I guess that was what i wanted to do um and you know i went you know, studied finance uh, and then the crash of 2008 happened and I graduated in 2009. So it's probably the worst time to be a fi- try and be a finance professional. And so I went through a really challenging time there. But eventually I got a job at a boutique investment banking firm. And that was, I thought like, okay, now I'm, I was set uh, for life. You know, I got the job that I wanted. Um, I'm working in finance. Um, but I then, uh, long story short, uh, I was not very good. Uh, I was not very good. Uh, my my um my bosses thought I was underperforming. I didn't feel like I was performing and I kind of left uh that that field, that field that I thought I was I had built my my entire, I guess, future dreams and identity around. Um and you know, after I, I did that, I decided to take a bet in in Indonesian technology because, you know, this was like two you know, when all this was happening was around 2010, 2011, and it was you know starting to see uh the the development of the current technology giants in the U.S. Uh, at the time, and I I thought that you know it'd be it'd be pretty cool if Indonesia ever had a technology industry to be part of it uh, at the at the ground floor, and so I moved back in 2011, uh, and you know it was super early, it was really really early at the time. Uh, where the level of talent, the level of funding, the level of product market fit, the number of people who transacted on the internet was was also still super low. People still saw the internet as a place for chat apps and social media. And so the level of belief that people had in the space at that time was was, was pretty low. People didn't think that real businesses um, and real valuable products could be built, um, especially be built locally. Um, And so taking that bet. Uh, was something that I I think you know it, it really panned out for, for 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 us to kind of be really, really early uh in the space, uh which you know today has become very, very vibrant. The scene in Southeast Asia has become, you know, I think one of the most exciting uh, um spaces in 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 technology in the world to date. But at the time it wasn't obvious. And 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 being able to see that development uh I think was something that was really, really important to me because um, it really shows you what's possible in a very, very, very short time. and I think it's something that probably people in technology in the US. Uh, can relate to you know, the people who've been working in this space for like 20, 30 years. But being able to see those early days uh, for me is was just you know really, really valuable and I think uh, uh, was an experience that I you know definitely definitely cherished.
1: It's really hard to just build a company outside of Silicon Valley and it was even harder back then. Uh, like exactly. CoVID and remote work almost made it the easiest it's ever been yeah sounds like a lot of the fact that you were so far away from the Bay Area informed the way that you built this company, the scrappiness that you that you talked about. I'm curious if you have any advice for a founder who's trying to build a company now outside of say the bay Area or just u s in general based on your experience
0: yeah look uh, it was it was super hard back then um because it was particularly hard because Indonesia. Is such a valuable market, Indonesia and the rest. I would say primarily Indonesia, just because of its scale. But I think overall, Southeast Asia was just—it's such a valuable market, uh, and it was interesting for global companies to want to win it. Um, so we had we competed with global and regional companies, but the local talent and funding ecosystems were were really underdeveloped. So that that, that challenge of like having to compete with the best in the world, you know, for 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 customers in the market. While also not having all of the resources available within the market to be able to build products and companies that can compete uh, was the re- was I would say one of the most challenging parts of building, um, probably in, in markets that are um, atypical uh, or, or outside of Silicon Valley and maybe some of the other kind of technology centers in in, in the world like China and India. So some of my learnings, uh, are probably there on you know on, that I. You know, for, that I would you know, take going forward um, is I think we talk a lot about being scrappy. Uh, in the beginning, you know, we were a lot more ops heavy than tech heavy and, and, and doing the things that don't scale uh, uh, through other means, I think uh, is definitely something that is absolutely necessary uh, if you're building outside of these main technology hubs. Uh, another thing I would say is you need to get good at remote work Really early, and and I think today that's kind of become a lot more you know prevalent uh, uh, as as more and more uh, people have experience with, with with remote work. You know, for us, uh, we, we built an engineering center in Bangalore in 2015, and this allowed us to compete a lot better uh, uh, with the global giants because we had access to you know a really deep uh, talent market in India at the time. Um, but we were really early in this whole remote work thing. Uh, because it wasn 't common uh for for people in our region, but also globally to have um so much talent concentration outside of headquarters um, and I do believe that companies who want to compete against world class competitors outside of you know these you know, technology centers like Silicon Valley need to be become good at remote work really fast uh because uh you know, getting that talent um probably means uh having Offices that are, or or or, or 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 individuals, or outside of uh, your home market or your headquarters, um, and probably the final, um, I would say, tip here is you know don't just copy, um, because Gojek was not like an Uber clone, uh, uh, even though that was kind of how you know, some investors or analysts talk about us. Uh, you know, we were focused on a solution that was uniquely uh, an Indonesian phenomenon, the, mo- uh, the motorcycle taxi driver. And this led to both product and, you know, branding innovation. Um, on the product side, you know, we were an on-demand super app uh, because we saw that, you know, a human being on a motorcycle could do a lot of things. And so we built a product around that idea. And, and hence, we ended up with a super app even before you know, super apps were really a thing. And then that branding point that we talked about a little earlier about giving our drivers, you know, jackets and helmets, uh, so people could see them zip around town, which actually doesn't make sense if you're a, a car ride-hailing service, uh, because you know, you couldn't, it, it's not very easy to brand a car, and you know, the drivers are inside the car. Uh, but all of our competitors at the time, uh, when they first entered the motorcycle uh, uh, ride-hailing space. Didn't brand their uh, their drivers because they came from a car centric view, um, and so again, understanding you know your unique market dynamics is also really really important if you're building uh, uh, outside of um, you know these these uh, um, these technology centers.
1: We've been chatting about Indonesia and Southeast Asia. I'd love to hear just like what should people know about that market. Um, we've chatted about what you guys have built and a few other companies here and there, but. Like what companies should people be aware of? What's happening? What's the latest? What's exciting?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think on specifically Indonesia, Indonesia is, most people don't know that Indonesia is the fourth largest country in the world. And that Southeast Asia holds almost 10% of the world's population. Wow. But beyond, you know, the macro uh, uh, picture, I think it's also, you know, we've experienced a, a, a pretty unique uh, level of, Pace of adoption for 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 products uh, with great product market fit. Um, So you know, products with great product market fit grow tremendously fast uh, in this part of the world. In 2015, for example, you know when we launched our app, we grew more than 100 percent month on month for the first 16, 18 months. Um, So we more than doubled um, every month for more than a year.
1: That is insane. I've never heard of that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no and, and you know, our, our investors at the time uh, sequoia is one of our investors at the time told us that this was the craziest the craziest growth story they've that they've ever heard of uh, in in the world um and it's i wouldn't say because of our necessarily because of our brilliance uh uh it was a combination of how you know in 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 indonesia and southeast asia there are a lot of these things that are obviously broken and and could be improved with with better technology and better products. But also, you know, we also have in this region a very young population who are excited to try new things. Um, and so if you find a solution that really resonates with a lot of these common day-to-day problems, the adoption curve is is just absolutely insane. Um and I think it's one of the things that are, that are definitely unique um to developing regions like 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 this one. Um, one company uh, uh, that, that's really, really interesting, for example, just to give a flavor of um, the type of off-the-wall, seemingly off-the-wall uh, um, product uh, or, or, or company being built in this part of the world, uh, there's a company called eFishery. Um, and what they do is um, they basically create a closed-loop ecosystem for fish farmers in currently, I think they're only operational in Indonesia or they're recently expanding beyond Indonesia you know, they help uh, farmers uh, uh, feed their fish through this, um, uh, this IoT smart device uh, that helps, you know, measure the amount of like fish feed that needs to go into uh, the ponds. Uh, But they also then help uh, farmers do things like get financing, uh, and also sell uh, their, um, their produce uh, out to local or or even regional or global markets. And it's a company doing like something like a quarter billion dollars in revenue. And it's, it's profitable. And it's, Basically, a fish farmer, uh, a closed loop um, ecosystem, and you know it, it's pretty wild that something like 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 this exists. Um, but it does it does speak to uh, I think again what I early, what I said earlier about the hunger that uh, the population have for you know better solutions. And if you can find uh, these better solutions, you can really build companies of very meaningful scale uh, very very quickly.
1: So at this point you've stepped down as CEO. You're you've stepped down from the board. What's next? And uh, how does how does it feel?
0: Yeah, I'm still kind of on this journey, honestly, of like how, how you know how how does it feel? Um, I think that you know it is you know building Gojek is by far the most important professional experience, and and frankly one of the most important life experiences I've had. It's you know made me a way, way better person, actually. And now that I've I've stepped away, I am not as bored or as aimless as people would expect after having such a kind of all-consuming thing um, uh, uh, be be part of my life experience. Um, what's next, honestly, Lenny? I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I don't have a plan uh, uh, at this stage. Uh I I do some angel investing on the side. I you know work with uh other founders to be able to, you know, maybe just share, you know, some of these experiences that I um that that I that I shared today. Um and, and just kind of figuring out, you know, um what are the I guess figuring out what makes me happy and what kind of you know what, what are the kind of activities that I find rewarding. I don't know, you know, maybe I'll start another company uh at some point. I think that's my default. Uh but I think right now I'm just kind of taking things easy and 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 you know, trying to figure out, you know, what my another problem I guess that I could kind of be obsessed about.
1: You've earned that time to explore and look for new problems. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get to our very exciting lightning round?
0: No, Lenny, I think I think we've 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 covered a lot uh uh today and um yeah I just wanted to thank you for uh for the time.
1: Amazing. It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, And with that, we've reached our very exciting lightning round. I've got five questions for you. Are you ready?
0: Yes, let's go.
1: What are two or three books that you've recommended most to other people?
0: What You Do Is Who You Are. I think that was the uh, the second most popular Ben Horowitz book. But I'm really uh, really obsessed with building interesting and engaging uh, cultures. So I think that that was that's one. Another is um a classic marketing book again we talked a lot about branding today so um there's this book called uh, How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp. Um, I think it's a I don't agree necessarily with everything in it but I do think that uh it's a it's a great primer on 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 how to think about branding and and marketing. Favorite recent movie or TV show. Favorite recent movie uh The Menu uh and favorite recent TV show uh Netflix show is a uh, cyberpunk, uh, 27, seven, uh, edge runners. Oh, wow. I haven't heard of that one. I oh, you should that. check it out. It's okay. super cool. It's hey, super hell, cool. Go check
1: it out. Yeah. Favorite interview question that you like to ask.
0: Tell me about a subject or activity you've been obsessed with for a long time.
1: What do you look for in an answer? That's like, okay, this is good.
0: I want somebody to basically almost pitch to me an obsession they have that makes it me, uh, uh interested, uh, uh, in 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 knowing more into that subject, and I, I'm the more obscure, uh, the better. Uh, and the more pat, the more passionate they are about an obscure thing, uh, uh, even better. And I think you know it, it shows people's capability to be really passionate about something and 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 sell something and and, and think about something in a very uh, structured and detailed way.
1: What are some products that you love and have recently discovered?
0: Two. Products, I think, right now that I've, I've that I, I found absolutely delightful. Uh, one is the Arc browser. Uh, I, I know that it's it's, it's uh, gaining a lot of traction out there. But I'm a, a very chronic tab hoarder. My my Chrome tabs are just all over the place, um, and I love that they've uh, figured out an they figured out an, I, I would say the best approach to kind of tab management. Um, and there's just a ton of little delightful, like awesome design details in the in that. Uh, the app that I I think is just really really cool and it's a browser. Like when's the last time there was like a really really cool browser that came out? Um, so I also love the ambition that the company has. Um, second product, uh, Steam Deck. I'm a huge gamer and I I think it it is probably I would say the best game platform to actually uh, build on the vision of, of of truly portable mobile gaming.
1: I love your point with Arc for uh, tab hoarders. I also. Used to have a lot of tabs, and I love it. Just auto deletes them; <laughs> it just <Yes>. disappear, <laughs> and, and it forces you to lose your tabs. And it works out surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Final question: I'm curious what comes up for this one. What's something you've recently changed, or that you've heard of someone at Gojek recently changed in their product development process? That was maybe minor, that had a tremendous
0: impact on the ability team's ability to execute. One relatively minor thing that I thought had a lot of impact with execution is being very clear that whoever is accountable for the result should also be the, desi- the, the decider. Uh, I found that a lot of literature out there says that product teams should be this communal, best ideas come from everywhere group, which I think is well-intentioned and absolutely everyone should contribute ideas. But I think not having it be super clear who is accountable and 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 who is deciding often slows down execution a lot and i think you know when we switch to making it really clear that who was the decider for um, any kind of product development process i think our execution definitely improved significantly
1: amazing kevin thank you so much for being here gojek is such an interesting and important story and i feel like most founders can learn something from the story so i was really excited to bring you on and to hear a lot of these uh, wild stories that you shared um, two final questions where can folks find a line if they want to reach out learn more and how can listeners be useful to you
0: I am uh, at uh, Kalui, K-A-Lui uh, on Twitter that's also my email kalui at gmail.com um, we'll always be happy to, to chat about Gojek or, or, or just generally anything uh, uh, technology related um, again yeah, I'm not I have nothing I'm working on Uh, at the moment. So I just would love to jam with with, with cool people. Amazing. Thank you again for being here. Thanks, Lenny.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Also, please consider giving us a rating or leaving a review, as that really helps other listeners find the podcast. You can find all past episodes or learn more about the show at lennyspodcast.com.